Brilliant. Thank you. I thought I'd sneak and get the lectern on the quiet. But then I, thought, I didn't see it earlier, so I thought, oh, hi, Jenny. So I, and then I, thought, then I thought, oh, I wonder if I should just, like, not have a lectern today. So I might just try that, just for fun. Yeah, it's there. Um, firstly, just to let you know, I spoke to Andy Cooley. I had a text conversation with Andy Cooley yesterday, last night. I just thought, oh, how's it going? You know? And um, if you know Andy Cooley, if you were here sort of like last term, he was up and here around quite a lot. And I just need to let you know, he, he, just, he misses you. And then I said, oh, what's it like being up in Manchester? And he said, yeah, it's great, but it's not quite that, you know, like being back down at home, you know, down here. And so... I don't know, I just really keep praying for him. He's such a great guy. Um, and send a text message to him every now and again and just say, look, we love you. How's it going? Hope you're doing okay. You know, it's really, it just, I think it's quite nice just to keep that contact, isn't it? So it's a really good moment. Um, so yeah, that would be really good. And then um, some of the prophetic words that were shared that were great were really helpful. And I think we're going to have a time of ministry at the end of it that will speak into some of those things. So hopefully that will be a, a really good uh, moment. Um, so we're going to dive back into uh, Philippians. Uh, I'm not going to introduce it at all because we've you've been doing it. This is your third week, isn't it? So we've been doing the same thing down at Trinity. And it is, I just absolutely love uh, the book of Philippians. But can you turn, please, to uh, Philippians uh, chapter... I'm it's written. It's chapter 1, verses 19 to 30. And... Um, oh, it's up there. Does it, would anyone read it? Anyone really happy to read it? Great. Matt, come on. Thank you very much. What, what, are you gonna, what version do you normally read in? ESV. Which one do you want? No, do it ESV. Yeah, that's what's up there. Yeah, yeah great. Oh, by the way, the verses in yellow are the two are the key passages I'm just going to focus on this morning. Well, I know. Uh, is it 18A then? The first bit. Oh, okay. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Brilliant. Thanks, Matthew. That's great. <clears throat> that was slightly different, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that? Is that the NIV? Oh, thank you. 
Uh, yes, so when it says ESV up there, just ignore that, okay? It's actually the NIV. I was thinking it's a little bit odd anyway. Um, so these, that, ver- that first verse that I just wanted to look at, for, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, there's a quote. Um, can you get the, the next slide up? Just the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Okay, go to the next one. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. We stand here face to face with one of the sublimest and greatest statements ever made. There is something so sublime, it is so delicate and so pure. Just that statement, for me to live is Christ. That's actually Martin Lloyd-Jones up there with his granddaughter, just so you know. All the pictures of Martin Lloyd-Jones are this very austere-looking old man, you know, looking dark. And then I found one with his little granddaughter, and you think, oh, what a wonderful picture that is. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you know anything about me, you will know that it is the, this is the one verse that has shaped my life more than anything else. And I just, I so bore people with the story. But if you've heard it, forgive me, but I tell it again. In 1985, when I was 19, which if you're trying to then go work that, I'm 57 now, that I was in the Rift Valley in Kenya, in a, place, a town called Kijabi, and I saw this tombstone, and it was of a 19-year-old boy, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, I'm 19. He was 19 when he died, and he had this, great, he had this uh, verse on his gravestone. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And at that point, I thought, if he can put that on his gravestone, that is what I want on my gravestone. But I can't put it on my gravestone, but I don't live it out. And so since, I think since that moment, it has been the verse that I have tried to live out more than anything else in my life. So Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He was in prison. He'd been in prison for a, for a number of years. In that, in that time, in, in uh, Roman times, life was quite cheap, you know. You could get executed fairly easily. And the Roman authorities, they weren't known for being all that conciliatory with people that disagreed with them. Basically, if you disagreed with them, that was it. That was the end. You were gone. You were executed. And um, Paul, he was sat there in prison. He had no idea how long he had to live. It could have been that there was a knock on his cell door and somebody would have walked in and said, do you know what, Paul, now's your time, out you go. And up, however they would have crucified him. It might have been this, this sudden choice. And what Paul was trying to say to the church in Philippi is this. Look, if you get the message that I have been executed, I just want you to know I'm ready and I'm happy with that. Seriously? It was just an immense thing for him to be able to say that he was giving his life for Christ. He was, it wasn't like he had some death wish. It wasn't like he was just fed up, you know, and thought, I just want to sort of like end it all and go and be with Jesus because it would be a lot easier. He was still, he, like from what he was saying, he was so keen still to serve. He was so keen still to be with the churches. The minute he'd be out of church, he'd be there supporting the churches. But he said, I just need to let you know, I love Jesus so much that if I was to die now, it would be gain for me. His whole life was simply built around his love of Jesus. He was consumed with it. It's what he thought. It's what he ate. It's what he taught. It's what he read about. It was just about Jesus. And, then, and the more he made Jesus the centre of his life, the more everybody else knew exactly who he was and the world was changed. I went to uh, my... 
this time last Sunday, I was camping in a field, clearing up carnage. Basically, I was at my daughter's wedding, and uh, it was a, uh, let's just say it was a lively wedding, and um, so <laughs> quite a few people camped on the field afterwards, and uh, including myself, Jill and I, and, and all our family, and anyway, it was filled with some incredible young people, <laughs> filled with, like, they were, f- like, they, they all seemed to be musicians, and they all seemed to be in bands, and they all seemed to be going all around the place playing with music. All their artists creating these wonderful art, all their jewellery makers, all the, you know, they were just like, time after all these young people, they're just incredible young people, really, really joyful young people. They were kind and loving and generous. And they're all trying to make sense of life. And some of them aren't doing so well. So when we came out, we came out of our tent. I got up at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, the night, there were people still sleeping on the field. They'd been there for a few hours. They were just sparko. <laughs> they were just sleeping there. And it was kind. And then I thought, OK, right, we're just going to start clearing this, clearing this stuff up. But I just felt a huge compassion for a lot of those young people because they're, they're going through all sorts of issues, and the more I sat and talked with them, one, one, uh, one of my daughter's friends, she's an extraordinary artist. We have one of her paintings on our, in our hallway. But she said, oh, yeah, I haven't... And I just said, oh, how's it going? And I knew she was struggling, but she hasn't, she hasn't painted since her mum died 18 months ago. She just can't do it. She can't do it because there's something within about her creative soul that she can't do it because this extraordinary loss, and she just doesn't know where to turn. And then late at night, I don't know, it's probably about one o'clock in the morning, so Jill and I, we hit the dance floor, and it was just quite funny. We, we quite liked it. And then I, I turned around and I saw this girl. She was just almost slumped over eating these samosas, but you know, she was just dipping in and eating, and... And she'd had too much to drink. But she was lost. She was a lost soul. And yet she's this extraordinary woman of creative ability. And I don't know, but all I know is I'm praying for some of those young people that they find something that they are able to say like Paul. For me to live is Christ. Is Christ. And I don't know how how people make sense of life. People make sense in, in all sorts of in a different way. Some people have absolutely no philosophy of life whatsoever. They just get up, and whatever is in front of them, that's what they do. They'll do they, have, they don't really think about life at all. They'll just do it, whatever. Or they might have the eat, drink, and be merry group, which is probably some of the young people that I was at this wedding with last week. Or they might have the grin and bear it group. Does anyone know any grin, grin and bear it people? Yeah, life is really all Just grin and bear it. Just get, crack on with it. The next group of people, anyone know some of the cynical people? Full of hope. They thought life was going to be really good. But actually now, things just haven't worked out and they've become cynical. Does anybody know any mystic people? They think they don't really know what God is, but he's out there, he's a flower or he's a tree or I don't know, or he's a wind or I don't know. But some of these, and they sort of like make all this nonsense, they just make it up as they go along. Or what about the other group of people? Just try and be nice people. That's probably where I would come in. I'll just try and be nice and not say anything too offensive to anybody. And, oh, just be nice. Or about the humanist, humanist people, the altruist people. They're the people that serve in the food bank. 
all those sorts of things. They just go and serve and they want to make life. And it's, it's a good thing and it's a good, but actually deep, deep down, they're probably still looking for something. What is it that gives meaning to our life? I've known a few people that have given their lives to the church. Does anybody know that? few people that have given their lives to church and then when it doesn't work out or something happens, actually everything falls away. Because even the church, actually you can't give your life to. Do you know some people, you can't even say you're going to give your life to God. Did you know that? Because Jews and Muslims do the same thing. It's exactly the same. They will give their lives to God, this is what, um, uh, if you think that's heresy, by the way, does anybody think that's heresy? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it, it's not, so it's okay, he said that. He said this, a Jew, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I'll just bring his quote out. A Jew or a Muslim can quite honestly say that life to him means God, and there are many in the world who can say that God is the centre of their lives, so that in this statement of Paul's, it is specific, the specific Christian language that is the distinguishing mark. For me to live is Christ. Is Christ. And what, what did it mean for Paul to say, for, for me to live is Christ? Well, I think the first thing is he just said, no, I, I love Jesus. Now, I, there is a slight issue. I don't know, because we live, live in this culture where everything is defined in relationships or sexuality or so, I don't know, it's just like everything is through that lens, isn't it? It becomes quite difficult for someone like to hear somebody, Paul say, I love Jesus, without having all these other weird connotations. But do you know what? There are some, there are some people that I just, I love. You know, you don't have to ask me to love them. I, I just love my family. There are friends, there are people in the church. I just, I love them. I really do like them. And I want to be with them and I enjoy their company. I'm watching rugby the time with somebody uh, a friend, and I, I think, oh, I love him. He's just, he's a great guy. He makes my life richer. I love him. I, I, I think it's, we need to recover some of that ability to express love to people that are around us. But what Paul says is this, I, I just love Jesus. I love him. I love the guy. I want to serve him. I want to be with him. I want to go and sort of speak with him. I want to become more and more. I love Jesus. I want to be like him. I'm going to give my life to serve him. And if I die, great, I get to be with him. But I think in the meantime, I don't think it's just yet. I think there are other things that he really wants me to do. So I'm going to crack on with that. But if I was to die, bargain. I get to be with him. I think it's... um. The other thing that Paul does, he says he loves him, but he also, I think he just thinks about Jesus all the time. Does anyone know what Paul did for a job? He made tents. There's, there's nothing in these, in these letters saying, oh, I just need to let you know I've discovered a new zip for a tent. I just need to explain this through to you. I, I was thinking about it, and I've made this zip, and it goes like this, and a bit of Gore-Tex. You might not know what Gore-Tex is, but I've discovered it. doesn't eat nothing! He did that just to make some money to be able to feed himself. But what he was thinking about was Jesus and the church and how can I love Jesus more and become more like it. That's what was consuming his mind. I spoke to a, a woman yesterday, young woman, single woman, 
She's got a really busy job and she had a day off. And I said, oh, what are you doing today? And she said, well, to be honest, I think I'm just going to read my Bible. And I thought, what, really? <laughs> and they're like, if, I'm, if that's me, I've got thousands of DIY jobs to do. Shelves to put up, shelves that don't need to be put up, that I invent out of nowhere, just so I can go and do something like that. And I just think, rah, 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 doing loads of stuff. And she just said, oh, I'm just going to read my Bible. And, and she's, a, she's a girl that lodges with us. And then in the evening, she came down, and then she said, oh, yeah, I... I um, I sort of did my hair, but I just read my Bible and listened to sermons. And I'm thinking, oh, way to go. I don't think she did it because she was bored, because she didn't have anything else to do. She had 101 things to do, and she's got a very busy job. But she just, no, that's what I'm going to do. She just loved, she wanted to become more and more like Jesus. And I think that is what Paul did. It's what he thought about. And then he said this. So Paul, he... He expressed his love of Jesus, he thought about him, and he expressed his devotion. In Philippians 3 verse 10, he says this, I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like him. I want to share in his sufferings. I'll do anything that's possible to become more and more like Jesus. And then it says this, he did, he acted He said, as far as I can tell, I'm just going to preach Jesus. I'm going to live in such a way that people ask me, Paul, why are you so annoyingly hopeful? He was in prison. Why? He just said, I'm just going to live in such a way that people want to say, look, why is it you're always joy? Why is it you're happy? Why is it you're in prison and there's joy in it? Why? Tell me. He said, well, I'm just going to try and live like Jesus. And become more and more like Jesus. I just need to let you know, Paul wasn't always like that. And we're going to come to that in a moment. There were times, actually, when Paul was profoundly disturbed. But we're going to come to that in a moment. Everything that Paul went through was a platform. And I've been so challenged by that recently. Everything, that, and it says, that the message version of the Bible says, all this stuff, being in prison, they wanted to shut me up, but it didn't. It just gave me a platform to talk about Jesus even more. Even the people that he was like, he was imprisoned with that were next to him. He, like, they can't get away from him. You've got to, you so have to pity those people, don't you? Oh, my word, please don't make me chained up next to Paul. He goes, rah, 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 rah. Jesus, Jesus, But what happened? They gave their lives to Christ because they saw there was a man that was so consumed. And I sometimes think, when I go through a difficult time, I'm just thinking, oh, I don't see it as a platform to talk about Jesus. I see it as a platform just to bitch. Or to, like, oh, my word. But but Paul said this, not for me to live is Christ. In every circumstance. And the more he decided that Jesus was the centre of his life, the more it turned it around and the more people saw Jesus in him. And then the more people thought, oh, do you know what? I need to look at this. I need to see who this Jesus is. And then the the other verse. um, How do we do this? Can we go maybe back one? No, back two. Anyway, we're just going to look at these other verses. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then verse 23, it says this, I desire to be, 
a desire to depart and be with Christ. Can I just ask a little bit of a survey? Um, If you asked any of your non-Christian friends what happens when you die, what would they say? Like, nothing. It's just like a sea of unconsciousness. Oblivion, yep. Yeah. Anything else? This is a genuine question. Or anything, but they're just making it up, basically. Yeah, yeah, okay. Come on, uh, anybody else? Nirvana. Nirvana. What, what is Nirvana, apart from the band? <laughs> just playing there for what? <laughs> I'm Kurt. <laughs> yeah, so you'll come back as a frog or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the circle of life, it just keeps going on round and round and round, and you get better or worse, depending on the, yeah. What was somebody saying over there? I was saying sometimes I find that they are going to wait a bit. Sometimes they're telling me, like, maybe I'll come back to be like a cat or something else. Or yeah. Like, you know, not human or abstract thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I was just going to say, like, like a fluffiness, like, I'll leave my dog. I'll yeah. Yeah. But it's general fluffiness, yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah. So it's it's a, an adaptation of Christianity of heaven and hell, but it's just whether you're nice, basically. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? You become a ghost. Yeah, and we come back and haunt you. Yeah. And then there are the people that say that hell's going to be more fun anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah, people say, "Well, I wouldn't want to be in. I wouldn't want to be in heaven anyway." It's all like sitting on harps, playing, uh, sitting on clouds, playing harps. Sitting on harps would be painful. <laughs> sitting on harps, playing clouds would be even worse. <laughs> oh, hold it, wait a minute, hold it. Yeah, everybody's coming now. Yeah, okay, right. Well, last three. Yeah, Emily. Yeah. You still come back, but you're a spirit. Yeah. Hovering around your So it's the same same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You Yeah, you become like exactly it's the same thing, isn't it? And then you have to honour your ancestors and you have to worship them because if you don't they'll come and bite you and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Can I just when somebody tells you that, I'm always very dubious and you think oh someone told me. <laughs> So it's, the, it's coming back to this, this whole... So there's this whole... You know, I, I, I have seriously heard people say, I'm just going to become a star. You know, when you look up at the night, those are all the people, the millions and millions of stars, you know, become... Or, you know, grains of sand on the seashore, all that sort of, like, nonsense. 
I just need to let you know, Paul had a very clear and a very positive and a very distinct understanding of what happened when he died. It, was, um, it wasn't that he wanted to die, but he did say that when I die, I will be with my saviour. But what the Bible, the Bible doesn't talk, so I'm just talking about this because we don't often talk about what actually happens when you die in church, and it's quite interesting, and it's really helpful for me to understand something. The Bible doesn't talk an awful lot about all Christians going to heaven when they die, but it does say this, Jesus said what to the thief on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul clearly is saying that when I die, I will be with Christ. So I think Paul just indicates that the moment... I don't know if I'm being morbid, but does anybody think about the moment that they'll die? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> well, you would, because you face it all the day. That's unhealthy that much. <laughs> Yeah. And I talk about it a lot. So, yeah, I think about it all the time. I and how do you think about it? Uh, do you think about where you'll be or what it'll be like? <laughs> yeah, she's. Probably the second more than the first. Yeah. Because it's not something that I worry about. No. So, but I, for myself, I want a good death. Like, and I know what that looks like. And I know how to give that to someone as well. And I think. If you don't know me, I'm an oncologist. Um, but, yeah, I think you all do. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's more m- maybe about, like, the mode that I would like to have. Like, mm. maybe, and, like, if I get the choice, I know what I want. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's... A, I feel really strongly that we don't think or talk about it in our society enough. That that's a different thing. I think it's a profoundly healthy thing. Yeah. Because we will face it. We will all face it. And I did remember, <laughs> one sort of like thing that perhaps to bear in mind is I had this conversation with my kids once when they were little <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe that wasn't a helpful thing to do. <laughs> I think it's really important. Well, it, it, maybe not in the way that I had it with them. <laughs> but I think... There is something about when we breathe our last, what happens? And what what happens? You know, Paul is saying here, I am totally unafraid of it. I do not want it. I do not, like, desire it. It's not unhealthy. But I am unafraid of that moment. And I, I want to be like that. And I'm not sort of trivialising death, but actually, unless we sometimes just ask ourselves these questions, we find ourselves in this place of shock and we can't deal with it. But Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die would be gain. So he's saying, I will go and be with Jesus straight away. I will be in the presence of Jesus. And he said, that is a good thing. That is a very, very good thing. Paul's body, I don't know what happened to Paul's body. 
nowadays, personally, I, I would either be buried or, or cremated. My body won't be with Jesus, but my soul will be. My soul will be with Jesus, and I will know that. And I'll be able to say, no, Jesus, I love you, and I am with you, but it will be my soul. I'll be in a disembodied state with Jesus. But that's not it. It doesn't end there. Because Paul goes on, and in chapter 3, he just says, look, I want to be like Christ. I want to share in his suffering, and I want to share in his resurrection from the dead. And he talks about it again and again. And he says, no, I will be with Christ the moment I die. The moment I breathe my last, I will be with Jesus. But there will come a moment when the resurrection of the dead happens. And, I will be, and this physical body will be restored and renewed. It says our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And it's, if you read it, if you go into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it just talks about Paul's looking forward to his resurrection body rather than this delicate, temperate body that is so prone to disease. I'm looking forward to that moment. Has somebody got, could somebody just get um, 1 Corinthians 15? In fact, uh, no, I haven't got my glasses. If somebody could just look, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse, read verse 51. Has anyone got it fairly? Have you got it? Could you read it? Could you? Uh, just read 1 Corinthians 15 verses the second half of 51 to 55. And it's just talking about what happens when Jesus returns. Second half of 51. Yeah. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thank you. He's just saying that that, that, that moment comes when... The, does it... You know, I have this thing about listening out for a trumpet when Jesus returns. I do. There was a moment years ago when there was this massive thunderstorm and lightning. And I just thought, I wonder if that's it. <laughs> and I thought, is that, can anybody hear a trumpet? And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if you suddenly heard, I don't know what it, but it, it wouldn't sound pathetic like that. But it would be something extraordinary and it would shake the world and think, oh my word, this is it. Jesus is returning now. Oh, my word. But there will come a moment in history, some people will be alive when Jesus returns. And what happened, What he said then is at that point, those who are dead in Christ, those if you've given your life to Jesus, and you'd, you'll be restored. You'll have real new physical bodies. And then in Revelation, uh, Revelation 21, I'm going to try and read this. Without, no, I can't read it without my glasses on. Uh, Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5, it talks about this new heaven and this new earth being restored and redeemed. And that, like, there will be, an, this, this earth will be restored. That's why when Martin Luther said, what would you do if you knew the world was ending today? Uh, what would you do if the world was ending tomorrow? What would you do? What did Martin Luther say? He said he'd plant a tree. 
plant a tree. Yeah, because this, new, this earth is going to be restored and redeemed and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more... T- this, this place, when you go outside, okay, and you see like woodland or fields or greenery or beauty or mountain, whatever you really love in nature, and you see that, guess what? That's what's going to happen. There's going to be these new heavens and new earth. It's all going to be restored and we're going to be in the presence of Jesus with real physical bodies. But they won't see decay. They will be immortal. It's extraordinary. What N.T. Wright says, it's not life after death that we're aiming for. It's life after life after death. So the moment we die, we're in the presence of Jesus. And then when Christ returns, there will come this moment when all the dead in Christ are restored and renewed. Real physical bodies. It will be an extraordinary moment. Um, could somebody just look up at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 11? And when you've got that, just say, I've got it. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, not yet. Just wait. Now. No, 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 not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Just wait. We, I just want to come back to this thing that when Paul was saying, look, I'm really happy to die, when the, when the Romans come knocking on the door and come to my cell and say, yeah, now's the time, you're going to be executed. And he, he appears to be this fairly jaunty, happy, look, it's fine, don't worry about it. I just need to let you know it wasn't always like that. There's this passage that we're going to read in a moment in 2 Corinthians, and he wrote it just before he was released from prison. And basically he's saying this, this death that I'm going to face is going to be horrendous. And I feel it. It might even kill my soul. It might even kill my heart. He was not in a good place. Okay, sorry, could you just read that? For we do not desire to have you uninformed, brothers, concerning our afflictions which happened in Asia, that we were weighed down exceedingly beyond our power, so much that we despair even of life. Yes, we ourselves have the sentence of death within ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us out of so great a death, and who will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will also deliver us again. You also helping together on our behalf by your petition, that for the gift bestowed on us by means of thank, of, by means of many, thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. Thank you. The, the bit he's saying just at the beginning, he's saying is this, that just before I was released from prison, I went through a dark night of the soul. And all this stuff that was going on, it's like he knew what was truthful, but his feelings didn't quite match up. So he believed something, but he felt something very different. Now, the passage that we read actually said he came through it. He came through it okay because he, he had learned what it was to say, these are the feelings and this is what I believe and actually I need to lean into what I know is true. And I personally think that that, that is one of the key hallmarks of Christian maturity. That sometimes things just hit us and blindside us And all these feelings get churned up and we're thinking, I can't do this, I don't want to do it, I don't like this. And there are times we just have to go back and say, 
yes, but this is what I know to be true. And I think in a moment, it'd be really good to, to pray for two things, to pray for us together. And when I stand up here and say these things, I'm not saying these things as in I've sorted it. I think there are times when, you know, there's been a couple of moments just, just recently, and I just thought, oh, this is just like, my, my feelings became more important. And I leant into my feelings. And I just thought, oh God, please bring me back to this place to what I know is true. And the more I focus on what I know is true, the more actually God helps to shape my feelings. So I would really like us to pray, firstly, for people who are going through a hard time and your feelings about that loom large. That you would have the grace of God that would come on you, that actually you would be able to know what you, know what you believe about Jesus and his love for you. And the second thing I just want to pray for is, if you're thinking, I'm not sure really for me to live is Christ. All these other things are pressing in on my life. But actually, I want to be like Paul and say, Jesus, for me to live is you. And it may be a moment where you've just said, no, that's what I'm going to almost, re, re, rededicating your life to Jesus in that sense. So could I just ask you to stand a moment? I'm going to hand back to Claire in a moment. I'm going to... No, no, actually, yeah, now, actually. That was the... Yeah. It was a very short moment. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to pray. And then I'm going to hand back to Claire and to Jonathan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for for Paul, who was able to say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would burn something within us this morning, where we live wholeheartedly for you. Where we understand something of your grace and your kindness, where we're able to articulate our love for you, way that and the way that we live our lives and the things that we do and the things that we say reflect that you are Lord of our lives. And Holy Spirit, we just ask, would you come and be gracious and kind to us this morning? Come and move in our lives, we pray, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen.